Hi, welcome to 2216 Podcast. This will be the first ever episode. Uh, we're coming to you from small departments located within New York and Pennsylvania. Here to share our experiences over the last 20 plus years of what it's like to be a member of a small town fire company. Uh, joining me today are Jake Rayle, Jake Rayleigh, who is the assistant chief of the Andover Fire Company, and Dave Locker, who is the deputy chief of Station 24 in Williamstown, PA. To get things started, we're going to do a little welcoming and a little explanation of who we are. Um, first, I'd like to introduce to you Dave Locker. Hello, everybody. My name is Dave Locker. I'm, the, as Greg said, the current deputy fire chief of the Liberty Hose Company Number 1 of Williamstown. Um, I've got roughly 20 years in the fire service, starting with a small volunteer fire company in northern Pennsylvania and uh, transitioning down to southern Pennsylvania, um, holding numerous positions along the way. Um, I'm really pleased to be involved in this and uh, would like to now introduce Jake Reilly, the assistant fire chief of the Andover, New York Volunteer Fire Company. Hello, listeners. My name is Jake, Jake Reilly. I am the assistant chief of the Andover Volunteer Fire Department. We're a small little department with only about 100 calls per year that are no EMS calls. Uh, I've been in the fire service for 23 years, and within those 23 years, I have split time in city department and in a rural department, so I kind of bring the best of both worlds, I guess. Very excited to be on 2216, and I hope you guys enjoy uh, what we're going to bring to the table for all of you, and hopefully this helps some other departments, whether you're struggling financially, struggling mentally, or struggling in general. Our whole point of the podcast is to help connect other firemen with other firemen and resources so we can all grow and uh, be better at our jobs. Greg? So as I said, my name is Greg Taylor. I'm current chief in Allentown, New York. We're a small company located just outside of Wallsville. This idea come to us kind of on a whim. Uh, we've been looking for ways to get the word out or give information out to other small companies around the states, around the country. Um, we know that it's a special, special place to be. It's a little different than running in the larger city departments. Um, we hope that we'll be able to share our words with everybody and get some input and basically help everybody out. Uh, bear with us first off, you know, as we get the hang of how things work. We know it's not going to go exactly perfect, uh, but we'll work through it and get things going. Hope everybody enjoys. Uh, so I think without further ado, we'll start in on our first topic that we've chosen. Uh, right now, the mental health of not only firemen, but fire, EMS, corrections, law enforcement, dispatchers, that's a big topic. Uh, there are some special things that come into play with small towns that maybe they don't see quite as often in city departments, and we're going to touch base on everything today. So without that, we're just going to open up kind of an open forum between us and have a nice conversation about it and hope we can spread the word. Yeah, I mean, mental health is so important in the fire service, definitely something that needs to be talked about. And a lot of people don't <clears throat> like to talk about it. People don't like to share feelings, but it is what it is. I mean, I'm going to cite a study that was done in 2016 by Fire Rescue and they estimated that 20% of the firefighters and paramedics, first responders, all suffer from some type of form of PTSD. And to give you some comparison, um, 
the average population, the general population of people, only 3.5% suffer from PTSD. So 20% to, you know, a smaller window of people, that's quite drastic in our service. So Dave, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people that, that struggle with this. I know I've in the past dealt with it. Um, and, uh, it is difficult to deal with. Um, there are a lot of first responders out there that definitely don't, you know, let everybody know that they have issues going on and, and they, they live with those every day. Um, ultimately the best thing to do is try to get that out there. There's plenty of resources, plenty of help for everybody out there. Um, you know, 20% of the, the current fire and EMS in 2016 was a large number. I mean, I'm sure that's probably larger than that now. Um, but you know, it's, it's definitely a, a large number there. Greg, your thoughts? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, the National Fallen Firefighter Foundation did an actual study of more than a thousand firefighters. Out of those thousand firefighters, nearly fifty percent has had suicide thoughts throughout their career. Sixteen percent have actually reported an attempt to it at some point or or another. Um, EMS kind of similar. Thirty-seven uh, percent had thoughts of it. Six point six percent have tried. The interesting part: anything that you deal with law enforcement, do you know? That in law enforcement, more officers die by suicide than they do by gunfire and acts combined. I think that speaks speaks volumes for what's going on. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Does. Yeah, you know, and, and we've talked about this several times. I think um, small town departments like ours, you know, we're we're dealing with populations that are thousand or under, you know. Um, chances are you're going to go on all these calls, you're going to know the person, you're going to know the family, or, you know, somebody on your squad, somebody in your department's going to know who it is if it's not one of them. And that, that that's hard to take sometimes. Yeah, touching on what Greg said there, I mean, I can attest from personal experience that, you know, being into the department that I have, that I'm in currently, which I've been in for 12 years now, um, all the CPR calls and uh doa calls or stuff like that that i've responded to in the in the 12 13 years that i've been in andover's fire department i knew every single one of them uh i had some type of relationship with every single one of them whether it was just a you know just a passing by hey how are you today to uh you know actually speaking to them at little league events or things like that and i'll tell you what you know for my own personal demons that i battle sometimes with ptsd you know you don't forget that you don't forget the face you don't forget the person and no matter what you do, you know, you, you unfortunately, you carry that with you for the rest of your life, which is not always the healthiest thing. But if you seek help and, and do what you have to do, that's the best thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I, and I can attest to that as well, Jake, uh, coming from a small town department in Potter County, 700-ish um, people in the town. Uh, you know, everybody knows everybody. Um you know, if it's not a member of the department, it's somebody that you're very close with or somebody that you know, you know, pretty well. Um, and, and any of those calls, even if it's somebody passing through from another town or, or you know, anything like that, you generally know most everybody around you. Um, so it does it does take a toll. Um, the same thing with, and I can also relate on this end of it too for the dispatching. Um, I was a dispatcher for multiple counties and then taking those phone calls. I know, you know, this is a firefighting podcast, but I, I really feel those dispatchers do not get the you know, level of respect that they deserve um, out there. Uh, they definitely are the first first responder and deal with a lot of trauma on the other end of the phone. You know, 
the the first people to answer the call in any time of need or any time of help and they provide you with all the information on the other end so i feel that they you know it is something that really can affect everybody out there oh yeah sure does it sure does you know yeah, absolutely and that's the thing oh, sorry go ahead jake one thing that you know i hope anyone who's listening to this uh podcast uh, is a member of the volunteer service or even paid service it doesn't matter and it doesn't matter what end it is it doesn't matter if you're a fireman a paramedic you know, a police officer, a dispatcher, a correctional officer. Uh, luckily, most counties do have, you know, some type of um, resource that you can reach out to, people you can speak to um, confidentially. Um, and it's not even that. It's, you know, I know I'm not one to like to share my feelings, but, you know, um, I'll, I'll be honest with you, you know, Greg and Dave are good friends of mine. And, you know, if they've them being in the same service as I, you know, if we have a bad call, we call each other, we talk. You know, we, we, we air out how we feel and, you know, we can all relate, you know, and that's, that's so important. Like people don't realize, like, if you have a bad call, don't hold it inside, call and talk to somebody. Like you'll swallow the pride and just do it. You'll feel so much better afterwards. It's so worth it. Um, but it's hard to get to that point, you know? Yeah. That's the thing is you, you run into, you run into a lot of guys, a lot of gals out there that. You know, they don't want to bring it up. They don't want to admit to having trouble. You know, they're afraid of being criticized, afraid of being picked. Look, we can't tell anybody else how that they're going to handle a call. I'm going to handle one call one way. You're going to handle a call a completely different way. That's fine. What matters most is how we come together at the end. We take care of each other. We support each other. We get them through it. You know, whether it's through going out and, you know, having a beer shooting some pool, you know, sitting through a critical incident stress debriefing team, you know, those teams are available around, sitting in the station, going through everything, we're all in the same boat. Absolutely, and, and people look at this as like a, a point of weakness, it's really not. I mean, you have the ability to go out and say, hey, listen, uh, I'm struggling. It's not really a point of weakness, it's not like you're, you know, any less strong than you are. If We need to talk about these incidents, because what they do is they continually build up, and it creates further problems down the road. Um, and you mentioned the Critical Incident Stress Briefing Team. That's a great asset. All the counties have them for the most part. It's a great asset to have. Those people are also like-minded in emergency services for the most part. They come out and they're willing to listen. They're willing to provide reasons or uh, you know reasons and, and answers to all the questions that you may have or you know thoughts that you're feeling. Yeah, yeah, and you know. Like you said, you know, uh, like like Red said, I think it was Greg. Um, you just never know what call could affect you. I've seen, I've seen in, in in the twenty three years I've been in, I've seen brand new members. You know, unfortunately, the first or second call they've ever answered was not was not a great call, and they never came back. And I'll never be upset with them for it. I completely understand. You know, um, we see some stuff that most people will go a whole lifetime that will never see. And honestly, I hope they do go a whole lifetime of never seeing. Um, but then I've seen members that have been in for 20, 25 years answer that one call that was just, just plain sucked and they never come back. And again, you can't blame them. You know, we, everybody has a breaking point and, you know, we're hoping with this podcast, you know, we can let other people know that, you know, in this particular issue that, you're not the only one. And if you reach that breaking point, I hope you seek help. You know, that's what we want, you know? Yeah. Well, and you know, what's interesting. So I was reading through the stats. There's actually a website. It's uh, www.bluehelp.org. 
Um, they specifically follow the suicides among first responders. And it's interesting to read the stats. According to their stats that they've they've you know they've been following since 2017, the average year of service across the board, you know, that's including law enforcement, corrections, dispatcher, EMS, and firefighter. You're looking at more than 10 years of service. You know, 10 years. We're not we're not talking about somebody that's two months on the job. We're talking about several years have had all these calls build up in you and, and you know whether they choose not to have the avenue or don't know how to get the avenue how to get that out those are the ones that we're losing yeah and it's sad you know like we don't we shouldn't have to lose anybody you know that's that's the you know so yeah and actually according to their staff going back to 2017 there's been about 1,300 suicides in the first response. Yeah. And I'd hope, that's, you know. That's I, crazy. Yeah. Like, that is crazy. That's a large number. Yeah. Reach out for help, man. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, okay, so you're saying 1,300 people, you know, there's millions of there's millions of people in the United States. Okay, great. When you're talking 1,300, you look at how much of the population is a first responder, you know, an actual an actual active first responder and what happens with them. That's, that's a pretty substantial number. It is. Yeah, I agree. That's where it's up to us as leaders to kind of take a step back. I mean, if you're in a leadership position, uh, chief officer, captain, lieutenant, even if you're just a regular firefighter, you need to take a look at the crew that was on the, the, the incident with you. And after that incident, you know, go back, talk about it. But if you start to see a change in somebody over the time, you know, maybe have that conversation with them. Hey, are you okay? Is everything good? You know, we need to be watching out for each other as well. Um, and again, as a chief officer, I always try to make sure that, you know, everybody's, you know, okay after the incident and then try to follow up with them after just to make sure that, you know, nothing's continuing down, you know, after that. Right. Yeah. You said, right. you said 13. Yeah. And it's hard. Right? It's hard to, it's hard to sit back. And sometimes, you know, we as officers don't take the time to really see those changes. Oh, yeah. uh, I think that's very important, especially in, the, in our smaller companies where we're all, you know, you're, you're dealing with several of your family members. You're dealing with several really close friends. It, it's hard to see those changes. It's hard to recognize. And that's something that we really need to keep in the back of our minds and be mindful about. Yeah. Right. And let's be honest, we don't have the call volume uh, in a lot of these areas, a lot of our areas especially, um, to, to, you know, follow up with somebody on the next incident or make sure that somebody's coming back for the next incident. Your next incident may be two, three weeks away. So there are times that we need to make sure that, you know, even a follow-up phone call two days later, you know, one of your good members that's always there all the time that, you know, you always see at every function isn't starting to show up for trainings and stuff. You might want to reach out and say, hey, what's going on? You know, maybe there's something more to the story that we don't know. Yeah. And you said, yeah. you, you, and, uh, said, uh, you know, people say that it can't happen. Oh, you're only getting 100 calls a year or 200 calls a year, you know, whatever. Okay. Yeah. We're not dealing with the thousands of the thousands of calls you're seeing in larger cities, but you're dealing with, you know, a lot fewer people dealing with the same stresses, the same struggles that you're seeing everywhere else. So you want, you want a crazy, you want, uh, not crazy, but so to put that numbers, the numbers we're talking here into perspective, right? You said 13%, right? That was the number from the blue help website. Well, yeah. well it was 1300 people to them. It was people. So, so to put the numbers yeah. in perspective, right? So there's 332 million people who live in the United States. 
of those 332 million people, 4.6 million of those people um, are, 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 you know, working some type of career, first responders, whether it's paid firemen, volunteer, police, EMTs, paramedics, all of that stuff there. So when you look at it in that aspect of it, like that's just, it's just crazy. It's such a, it's such a large number for a small number amount of people. If that makes sense, how I explain that, um, you know, it, it's, it's such a troubling thing and, and, you know, that's, you know, just reach out, ask for help. Um, and, and, you know, not for nothing, as I'm looking at the stats as well, uh, the actual, the firefighter section, it's crazy. Ever since you've seen things getting worse and worse, the firefighters, they're actually increasing. The numbers of suicides or suicide attempts are increasing throughout the years. You know, ever since 2020, we'll say, it's been going up. You know, what do you account that for? Yeah. Yeah, well, I suppose we can bring back, we can talk about COVID and, and, and the the bearing the hat that had on it but you know let's face it there's a lot going on in this world we're dealing with a lot of tough things with the tough struggles the hard calls they're getting more and more and it's all about the calls man like i i yeah. can i can say like there's certain calls i go on now like uh, to to the normal person who doesn't understand this they might not get it truly but to the people who've been in the service well like a certain smell um, a certain like action or noise, or even like when I drive past a certain place where I was once on a call, like the thoughts always in the back of your mind. And it, it, it really does. It sticks with you. Like, you know, I could just be driving down one main road here in town where there was a bad call and, you know, just, just passing that place, even though I'm doing something completely different and it's been years, I'll still always remember that call. You know, it, it sticks with you and it stays with you. And the only way to make it better is to talk to somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is you know, you mentioned that about driving by these spots. Well, you're dealing with a lot smaller townships. Well, how many spots do you get built up before all of a sudden, everywhere you go, that's all you can think about? Yeah, that's yeah, so true, Greg. Very, very true. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, uh, that's the thing. All it takes is one, let's say, one bad accident on a main highway that you have to use to travel to work and back, and that's all you see every time you go to work and back. And that leads to warning signs for PTSD. Oh, yeah. um, there's a lot of warning signs uh, for PTSD that we can probably discuss. I think a lot of us can relate. Um, you know, intrusive memories, for example. You know, you pass that area. That's one of the warning signs for PTSD. Um, avoidance behaviors. Um you know, negative changes in mood and thought. You know, you have a member, like I said, that's very active, comes around, all of a sudden they start to be negative and they don't want to come around anymore. Um, the vortex of numb, you know, that's another one. You know, just being numb all the time or, or you know, acting like you're callous towards the situation and it's not really the case. Um, you know, or, or you have the members that say, I used to do this, I used to do that, they used to enjoy it, but they're not around anymore because of the situations that they've been, you know, dealing with. Yeah, to chime in on what, what, what Dave said there about being callous, a lot of people think that, you know, volunteer firemen and paramedics and they have a sick sense of humor. But, you know, if you, if you took every situation that you were in um, so literal and so seriously, um, I don't think our, our brains can grasp, you know, the severity of it. So that's what we do. You know, we, we find a way to cope with it. And unfortunately, our, our sense of humor, which is not always the greatest, but it does help. You know, that definitely is something. So, 
you know, for an average person, if you ever, you know, walking past a couple of firemen and you might hear an off cuff joke, you know, don't take it as we're being nasty. I can guarantee you one of those firemen, that's the way they're coping with whatever they've dealt with um, in general. It's a very common yeah. thing. You see it. You see it anywhere you go in the emergency services, whether it be the police department, you know, fire department, EMS. It is just the way it is. It is a coping mechanism. Yeah, it's it's your it's your brain's way of basically self preservation. You know, it's trying to save you, but you know, like not come across right to the general person. But with that being said, you know, us as first responders, we also do need to make sure we're mindful of what we're saying. You know, especially when we're around others. Yeah, yeah. Don't joke around in front of the family. That's a terrible thing to right. do. That's a, that's a, yeah, um, and it, like we say, it's tough when we're dealing with these small departments. You know, you know everybody, you know everybody around, and it's it's a small town. Yeah, and you know, so since we got plenty of time here, as you know, I'm sure Greg and Dave won't mind, but real quick, I'm just going to share with, with the listeners, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I'm pretty sure um, I suffer from some PTSD. And, I, and I'm going to quickly explain what I'm going through right now, just so that way whoever's listening can be like, oh, I'm having the same thing as that. Maybe I should go take a take a look at it. But um, about two years ago, I started doing getting nightmares, a lot, a lot of nightmares, uh, interesting ones at that. Um, that slowly turned into once in a great while to once a month to almost biweekly. At one point, it's a little bit better right now. Um but I would start screaming and yelling in my sleep, you know, that either I was on fire or I was trying to get somebody out of the fire and stuff like that. Uh, it got so bad that my wife would actually wake me up in the middle of the night because I was screaming on the top of my lungs, waking the whole house up. Um, because, you know, dreams can be so vivid and so real that at that point in time, I thought what I was dreaming was happening. And and uh, that's kind of and, and I'll tell you what, being in the service 23 years, it took 21 years for it to finally catch up to me. But it did. And, you know, for the longest time, I thought, I always thought, oh, I, I must be all right. My brain must be good. But you figure, settle down, have a family, have a couple kids, and you start looking at life differently. And next thing you know, your problems like that, like PTSD, start creeping up on you. And I did the right thing. I reached out. Actually, I reached out to Greg. Greg can attest to that. I did talk, have a long talk with him about the dreams and the demons is what I call them. And uh, then I reached out to a really close friend who's a psychologist and uh, been talking to her about the problems and that seems to be helping and it's definitely getting better, which is what you need it to be just to get better. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I think you understanding and you realizing that something like that's going on, that's that's a huge plus. Um, you know, a lot of people don't 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 get to that point. They They'll get to a point where they're pushing their families away, they're pushing their friends away. You know, it's, it's tough. It's tough to keep it professional. It's tough to keep it at the station. It's, it's tough to not make it affect your whole life. You know, just like you, my wife can attest to there's certain times where, you know, I'm sure I seem distant, things like that. It's, it's not because any of us are trying to push push our families away. It's that, you know, trying to trying to deal with it on our own ways. And you're right, I can attest to that you did reach out, and, uh, you know, that's that's the right thing to do, and I hope everything's helping you out with it. Yeah, and, there, and there's no shame for asking for help either. I mean, that's, yeah. that's you know, again, going back to, you know, small towns, that's a weakness for a lot of people in small towns, I feel. Uh, I mean, that persona is there, 
that people are looking around saying, you know, I'm strong enough to deal with this on my own. I don't need to ask for help. If I go ask for help, you know, they're going to razz me about it. The, the days of that are over. I mean, the days of that are over. We're, we need to start getting into, you know, taking care of ourselves and making sure that we're, you know, we're not going to help anybody if we're struggling with, with what we're struggling with and try to still respond to calls. Um, it, it's going to, it's going to affect us all the, all the way around as a department, as yourself, you know, from a leadership perspective, it's going to affect the leaders, you know, it's, just yeah. needs to be taken care of and, and just move forward with it. Yeah. Being an officer in my department, one of the things, it's a culture change. That's what I call it. Uh, one of the things I do a lot differently now is, um, uh, when we get back from a tough call, you know, I'll just, I'll go up to everybody and ask, um, you know, how you feeling? You know, do you need to talk? Like, it's okay if you do like, and you don't even have to tell anybody. It could just be me and you, you don't want any advice. That's fine. I'll just shut up and listen. Like, you know, and, and, and I, it, it I'm slowly, you know, I shouldn't say slowly. I'm doing it more and more now that the guys expect it when we get back from a bad call that I'm going to go around and talk to everybody. And if I don't see you or if I'm out of town during the bad call, I'm going to call you, you know, on the phone. I'm going to be like, hey, just want to make sure you're good. Um, a prime example would be is um, not to go into details, but there's a pretty pretty uh, bad call that we had in, in our region, uh, I think about a year, maybe two years ago. Yeah, about two years. No, it was maybe a year ago um, where unfortunately some people died in a house fire. And I was actually out of state. I was on vacation in Tennessee. And uh, even though I was on vacation, I knew the couple of people who went on our air truck. So I contacted them to talk to them just to make sure that they were good, make sure that their, their minds were in a healthy place. Cause that's important. You know, as an officer, you got to lead by example. And I think more officers stepping up and doing that type of stuff will go a long way in the, in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I ended up reaching out to a couple people I knew were on scene of that incident as well. Again, small town area, you know, a lot of the firefighters in, in departments that are 20, 30 miles away from you, you know, although it sounds like it's a long way, they are your second alarm departments coming in nine times out of 10. Um, so you do develop that relationship with those other firefighters, you know, from other departments, maybe not everybody, but you know, you can offer that little bit of guidance out to them too, or a little bit of assistance out to them and say, Hey, you know, you're more than welcome to give us a call if you need to talk, anything like that. I think that's where we're very tight knit. Um, in these rural communities, we're very tight knit. We're tight knit with each department. We're tight knit with each of the firefighters. You know, there are times if I have a bad call, I can reach out to people from my home department in Potter County and say, Hey, I need to talk. You know, they weren't involved in the situation. I think that's great, a great way to get that off of your chest because, you know, they weren't directly affected by that situation if you're in a different, you know, different area. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing as well. You know, reach out to them, guys. Reach out to the persons that are that have been through situations like that. You know, get away from your home department, like Dave says. Everybody that's been directly affected or dealing with it in their own way, you know, sometimes getting that fresh set of ears is, is what matters. You know, I have the fortunate part where um, I'm a little different than the other two guys here as I run EMS as well in the mother squad. Um, so there's a lot of things that we get to deal with out there that it's tough. You know, we have a, large, a lot larger call volume out there as we do in my fire company. But when I get into tough calls out there, I've got, you know, these guys here that I can reach out to. I've got everybody in my home department that's more supportive than anything. You know, just, just because I'm the chief here doesn't mean that I don't need help as well. And these guys, don't forget that. They're here for me just as much as I'm here for them. Oh, yeah. It's like a big family, as we all say. We're all, we're all family. It is. For and we sure, for sure. 
we've had the ability to network with everybody as well. So, I mean, like, you know, obviously I'm in Dauphin County, Pennsylvania, for, you know, three and a half hours away from you guys. And, uh, well, we can all talk to each other. I mean, that's the whole kind of premise behind what we're doing here is we have a, a little group going that we kind of all talk to each other in. And, you know, we decided to make it from there and take it out to the, the rest of the, you know, whoever wants to listen. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of share the stories that we deal with. We talk about this stuff on a daily basis almost. Uh, so it's nice to have that relationship that we can have and network our way out, you know, to, to maybe help somebody out in the future too. Yeah. 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 Well, that's the thing is I think you're seeing a lot of other firemen as well that have the same thing, you know, have, they have their little groups of friends that they talk to on a daily basis or, you know, semi-regular basis and discuss the same issues that we have. You know, it's our goal is to bring that out, make it, that's okay. You can do that. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's what it is about. It's all about holding each other up, keeping the family together, and moving on and fighting. Uh, one thing I did want to touch on that I noticed um, as I get older, it's funny how things change when you get older. I'll probably say that a lot in this podcast, but uh, <laughs> we had a call, actually, uh, in, in another district where we had to bring the uh, our, our air truck um, into and we had a young 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 member um, it was actually a house explosion um, and this young member you know unfortunately it was a fatality and this young member really wanted to, to see the whole thing because um, when you're young and you're dumb you think it's really cool <laughs> I hate saying it like that but you know what I mean it's something you want to see you know that yeah I kept reminding him you know I, I had to keep telling him listen like I was in your place at one point in time, but now that I'm older, you, you don't. You just don't. You know, if, if, if you can get away with seeing less stuff, take the avenue to do it because that stuff stays with you forever. You know, and that's what, you know, a lot of people don't know is like, especially the younger generation. It's like, you know, you might be all gung-ho as a fireman now, but, man, that stuff stays with you. It'll, it'll haunt you to the day you die, my friend. Like, just... You know, like I said, if you have a chance to walk away so you don't have to physically see things or or maybe, you know, you didn't have to be fully on that call, then, you know, t take take that avenue so you can take that burden off your shoulders now instead of when you're older and you look back and go, man, why, did I really need to be there for that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's up to us as officers, especially the more senior guys, to make sure you watch that stuff. You know, when you're in situations where you're dealing with those real severe cases, those real serious ones, make sure you're watching out for who can handle it, who can, who needs to be there. You know, we run into the situation all the time. You'll have, you know, 20 guys standing around watching, not really thinking anything about it, and then all of a sudden, one of those guys, you know, takes it a lot harder than they need to. Yep. You know, there's no shame in saying, hey, let's, let's all get back, get back behind the trucks, you know, get people away from the from the immediate area and just have the ones that need to be there. Well, and we've done gone a little bit further than that. Um, in um, my home department, they put administrative controls in place for say junior firefighters. Now Pennsylvania are a little different than uh, New York state where junior firefighters can't be out on state highways. Um, it's against uh, you know, child labor laws and that sort of thing um, for us. But uh, We've set administrative controls that didn't allow a junior firefighter to even be on the scene of any accident at any time until they're 18 years old. Yeah. So, yeah. I, we have a we have a really active junior program, and but we're very strict with them. 
Um, we will not allow them to go to any accidents. Now, like you said, there's there's laws in place for like state roads and stuff like that. But you know, we have a we have a really big uh, ATV park by us, and technically that's not you know that's on private property. But we will not allow juniors to go to those calls uh, for reasons of you know you're talking a UTV, ATV, or dirt bike going extreme speeds and what it need to be in areas where you know you have a clearance of of a piece of hair or so or a piece of paper so you know that's one thing we've done really well like i said we have very active very large uh junior program which is great for our department for future growth um but you know we just certain they might whine a lot but there's reasons why that maybe they'll understand when they're older why we tell them no well, yeah, and I was very fortunate to deal with that. When I started 14 years old as a junior, I was very fortunate to have that ability to not have to, I feel like, be put in a situation, you know, knowing a classmate that was potentially, you know, killed in an accident or knowing a classmate that was severely injured and stuff that you probably wouldn't, you know, be able to rationalize at 14, 15, 16, or 17 years old. You know, I don't think that that's, you know, at that age, it's very hard to rationalize or, or deal with that type of trauma. Yeah, actually... Huh. Um, and it, and for the record, cause we keep talking about like fatalities and like really bad calls. It doesn't always have to be a fatality or a really bad call. Um, we've had an experience where it was a new member's first call and you know, it was a pretty significant arm injury. Like that was it. Like the person was going to live just fine. Um, but you know, um, significant arm injury. And it was their first call as a senior fireman, first time they saw that. And they had a really hard time. And, like, we, the cool part was we picked up on those signs before it got anywhere. Like, from just being on the scene with him, you know, we were able – with them, we were able to pick up on the signs, the early signs, and how they were acting, their body language, um, how they were distancing themselves. So the first thing we did when we got back is we went into, you know, damage mode and, and sat down with, with the said person and, and talked to them and – you know, uh, I got to talk to the person a little bit and share some experiences that I've had and, and how I've coped with things. So, so I guess that's something like, I guess as we started this conversation, I guess I didn't even think to break, bring up was it doesn't have to be the worst call in the world for it to affect somebody. It just has to be a call that just hits you the right way or the wrong way and that it'll affect you. Right. Well, you know, and also the thing is, we're sitting here, you know, talking about the new members, et cetera, and things like that. And the same token, it could be your 20-year veteran. It, it might just be that one call that sets them over the edge. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not it on, it, yeah. Everybody's built different. You know, it just depends on the, yeah. the type of incident. It, it may be nothing. It may be a, uh, you know, like, or like Jake said, a, an arm injury. But if you have somebody who's been there 20 years and they just perceive it the wrong way or a different way, not necessarily the wrong way, a different way, it could affect them. Yeah. Well, you know, and here, here's another thing. You know, we we talk about how we're members of small communities and things like that. How often you've heard stories, seen stories, personally experienced, you know, you might be at the fire station, all of a sudden an alarm goes off. What if it's at your own house? What if it's at your, your grandparents' house, your, your parents' house, things like that? That's, that's, you know, that's, you know, a, a, a perfect example of that be is, you know, uh, uh, about nine years ago, uh, my business burned to the ground and I was out of town, um, visiting with family and actually, so me and Greg were really close and then we kind of got distance for a little while just cause 
different circumstances. I moved away a little bit and didn't work, you know, hanging out a lot, but he reached out. Like, even though we hadn't talked for what, probably about a year at that point, I think, Greg. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But after that happened, you know, he reached out because it didn't matter that we hadn't talked in a while. Um, you know, it's a brotherhood and he knew that I was going to be hurting. So, you know, he reached out and I'm glad he did because like I said, that was probably eight, nine years ago and, and we've been close like we were beforehand from that point on. And, and, you know, I mean, that doesn't have much to do with PTSD, but there's an example of how close and tight knit the community is out here. Cause of how small we are is, you know, Greg, Greg is two towns away in a department in a, you know, neighboring department. And, he still took the time to reach out to make sure myself, my family was okay. You know, I mean, that was pretty tough for our family because that was our livelihood, but we got through it. So we have friends to help us. I also, like you, Jake, have been directly affected um, through my family. Um, I had one family member that was uh, killed in an accident, and another family member that actually arrived on scene of the accident first, not knowing of the, the situation. Um, and who that was. I mean, ultimately, when your pager goes off up there, you don't know who it could be. It could be anybody. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I had a family member that arrived first and, you know, ultimately had to, to find that. So, you know, I think we're all directly affected in, in ways like that as well in the small town areas, the rural communities. And that does play into the, the mental health side of things. I mean, you know going out that door it could be your mom or dad. You just don't know that until you get there. Yeah. Huh, right. Yeah, and it's 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 tough. I mean, these guys test. I I have a hard time sharing feelings with anybody. I'm not good at it. <laughs> um, but you know, last year we had an unfortunate incident. I had we had a uh, a mayday situation. Luckily, it turned out to you know not be overly serious. But we did have of a couple of our guys. You know, a couple of my firemen right here from my home station. Um, you know, we, it, we were able to rectify it pretty quick, but by the time I was able to get back to my phone, I've, you know, I had messages, I had calls, texts, everything from, from these guys, you know, my brothers, my family, checking on me, asking if everybody's okay, seeing what we need, and, you know, that, that speaks volumes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh. But, um, and then, you know, don't forget, you know, as, as, our, as, our, as our time for today dwindles down here, you know, if you're, if you are suffering from it and you don't know where to go, you know, there's always, you know, go, to, go to one of your officers, go to a senior member in your department. I don't mean senior member as in you're a junior. I mean like the guy who's been in there for 20 years, you know, reach out. Like there's every County has the, the resource, you know, um, that you can go to and speak to people. I mean, and, and if it's that bad, like if, if you're, if, if, if you're, if you're hurting that bad and you're thinking, bad thoughts you know there's there's also things in place like the suicide hotline um you know anything like that call 911 talk to the dispatcher um you know they'll send the resources and the help that you need right away you know they they, they don't play around with that kind of stuff so you know it doesn't matter you know uh if, if it doesn't matter where you reach out just reach out and that gets the ball rolling and yeah, absolutely the help just you need absolutely yeah. absolutely there's yeah, no shame in reaching sure. out you need to get that help reach out yeah right well there's actually so there's a few sites that we've come across that you know it, it's offered um and i'll make sure that when we do get this posted I'll, I'll post this as well um but there's one you know uh 988 lifeline 988 lifeline is it's uh, offers 24 7 access to 
train guys, people that deal with stuff like we do all the time, you can text it, you can call it, just text call 988. Or if you're more comfortable being online, get on the website 988lifeline.org and you can message them on that. Um, there's there's what there's share share the load fire and EMS helpline. They've got a phone number. Um, the crisis text line is there talking, and we'll, we'll make sure that we post all that when we post this video as well. Um, you know, and if not, you know, Allegheny County, we have our own crisis management team. You know, reach out to the dispatch center, reach out to your chief coordinators. Everybody has access. You know, don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, don't keep it to yourself. If you if you're struggling, don't keep it to yourself. That that is one thing I struggled with. I kept it to myself. Again, I thought it was a weakness perspective. Um, and after I went and got help, um, had therapy, it was the best thing that I've ever done for myself. I'll be honest about that. And we can attest, you know, Dave's wife can attest to this. Dave struggled with through some things. You know, he's, he's quite open about it now. But it's a real explanation of how things can affect your family. Absolutely. It does affect more than just yourself. It affects your family. It affects the guys you work around. Um, and I'll be honest, I wasn't in my right mindset when I was going on calls for a little while. And it was one of those things where, you know, I had to make sure that, you know, I, I felt like I was more of a liability to my guys. Yeah. That's definitely, definitely. Than I ever made. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what, you know, that's what it's all about is reaching out for help when you're ready and you need to. So, Greg, um, so what do we got in store? Like, uh, do you want to, we got a few more minutes here. Do you want to tell us uh, a little bit or tell the listeners a little bit what what, uh, what we're hoping to do in the next coming episodes and stuff like that? Yeah, so um, obviously we decided to touch base on the mental health for the first one. We collectively figure that that's uh that, that's a big thing right now that's a real tough no um specifically throughout the coming weeks the coming months we're going to be touching base on a lot of different things we're going to be reaching out you know funding membership we're going to be touching on mayday situations we're going to be touching on literally anything that we can think of that's that's a problem in not only fire companies you know ems agencies everything you know, we're, we're going to say that we're looking for the small-time fire companies. We're looking out for them the most. But really, everything that we're going to do is going to touch base with that. Um, you know, I, I think all three of us, we've listened to several different podcasts. And for the most part, they're, you know, centered around the, the big city life. You know, I'm not saying that that's a, that's a wrong thing by any means. But there's a lot of fire companies in the same situation as us across the country. And those are the ones that we're hoping to reach, you know making everybody understand that you're not alone you're not you're not going through you're not going through whatever you're going through by yourself we all have the same problems in the companies you know it's tough when you're dealing with fire companies that are working with you know anywhere from 15 to 20 to you know, maybe 30 active members it's hard it's a struggle there's a lot of things we have to do a lot of ideas that we can all come up with and that's what we're hoping to spread out yeah, maybe if we get lucky, we'll get into the whole story of what happens when you go into a structure fire with no hose nozzle upstairs, right, Greg? Well, you know, I think safety's going to be one thing, you know, maybe a little bit of training, a little bit of uh, information, and you know, what to do, what not to do. Maybe we'll hear some firsthand experience from people that have been through those situations. 
maybe 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 they haven't uh, made the right decisions in certain times, but <laughs> we've worked through it. <laughs> Uh, no, and I think we're yeah. gonna have we have a we have a lot of resources that are uh, that are, you know that we yeah. can bring in and uh, have conversations with as well. I think we can have a lot of guest yeah. uh, appearances from some also like-minded fire chiefs or firefighters, and you know, uh, kind of share their their story of their volunteer fire companies and what challenges they face. I mean, again, we we look at things differently than not necessarily. Uh, we all do the same job at the end of the day. Um, but we face a little bit different challenges, right? So no positive water supply, lack of membership, lack of funding. There's a lot of things that we deal with that we have to try to figure out how to adapt and overcome. Yeah. So it is nice to hear the perspective of other fire chiefs, other firefighters, you know, maybe not even the state that are dealing, or our states, that are dealing with similar situations. Right. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. You know, we're going to be a little rocky off the go. You know, it's kind of, kind of tough when you're first talking to a computer mic trying to think of what to say, but... Well, we're, we're going to get the hang of it. We're going to get things dialed in, and you know, this is this is real talk. Very yep. real. Very very real. Well, so I guess um, we're probably going to be winding it down here. Uh, but personally, I, you know, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank Dave and Jake for you know deciding to go with me on this crazy adventure that I come up with. Um, you know, these guys are great. They can share a lot of. A lot of uh, information, a lot of help. They've got a ton of experience, and I think they're going to make great, great assets to it. And I hope there's you know, at least one episode that we can help everybody out with. Yeah, Absolutely. Think, thanks for the invite, Greg. I'm, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to enjoy this, and you know, I'm doing it with with two people that I consider very close friends. So that always makes it a little bit better. I agree. I can say the same, and I also respect what you guys do. You know the knowledge you have and the amount of years you have in the fire service. I think I'm probably the uh, youngest one in the group here with just about twenty. Well, with just twenty years in, so um, you know I still have a lot of learning left to do myself. So it is nice to have that feedback from guys who've been in the fire service for a little while. Yeah, well, we're all still learning. We're all still learning. We're all still finding our ways. You know, yes, we all have at least twenty years into the service. You know, which is crazy to say and crazy to hear. To be honest with you, when I'm saying that out loud. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been an interesting ride and I hope we can share that with everybody else. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks listeners for joining us on the 2216 podcast and uh, looking forward to the next episode and everything else. So I hope everybody has a great day. Yes. Thank you guys. Yep. Thank you.